0: We're pleased to have for our afternoon speaker, Brother Scott Huey from the North Little Rock Ecclesia. Brother Scott's going to be speaking to us this afternoon on the subject of the time of Jacob's trouble. In connection with his uh, talk, he says that we read Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write these, all these words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will call them return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. These are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask you now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thine neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for, lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. For I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. For thus saith the Lord, thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up, thou hast no healing medicines. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not, for have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thy iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable, for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. Therefore all they that devour thee shall be devoured. And all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And they that spoil thee shall be a spoil. And all that prey upon thee will I give for prey. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after." there. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall build, be built upon her own heap, and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry, and will multiply them and they shall not be few I will also glorify them and they shall not be small their children also shall be as aforetime and their congregation shall be established before me and will punish all that oppress them and their nobles shall be of themselves and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them and I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach unto me for who is this that engages his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it, and until he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you shall consider it. So we ask that we give our attention now to Brother Scott as again, as he exhorts us on the subject of the time of Jacob's trouble.
1: Greetings, brethren. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And thank you, Brother Ray, for reading that. That's a lengthy reading. I thought it might be good to have that fresh in our mind. Um, Thank you, brethren, for your hospitality. It's been truly a pleasure to be here with you this week. And, uh, you know, anytime you can drive as far as we did and and meet people that you don't know and they're like your family, you know, it's, it's something special. And that's what the truth provides for us. And I think all of us here realize that. and We don't take that for granted the great blessing that uh you know comes from having the truth um we have much to be thankful for you know we meet here we've had this meeting today here and we've had a good day Uh, we meet here in peace we've been exhorted and we've remembered our lord um we've been edified with the fellowship um you know, many of us also have the blessing of, of the security that comes from living here close to our homes. I mean, we're not close to home right now, but we do live close to home, and we've got our families around us. And, you know, we're pretty much where we want to be. Um, and that's a, that's a blessing and security that we have. So, but this morning, the letter here that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles said they, they didn't have that privilege. If they had been carried off to Babylon, in exile, They had been removed away from their homes and everything that was comfortable and familiar to them. So these words in this chapter 30 that Brother Ray read are to these faithful brethren. And it was a remnant of believers who had not been rebellious to the word of their God that came through Jeremiah to them. You know, we can read about the good figs and the bad figs in chapter 24, you're familiar with that, I won't go there right now, but we can see the good figs were obedient, and they were told to go dwell in Babylon and be obedient, and the others that stayed behind, the rebellious ones, were not. So they were really, these brethren were really in contrast to the apostate ecclesia, those who had just given themselves over to the flesh. So that's what we're going to look at. So this, in the short time we've got to look at this chapter, we won't be able to cover all of it in its details. Every time I, I read over it, I see something else, and Brother Ray read it again this morning, I can see you know, there's more and more to get out of it. But I think that just from a summary consideration, I'm hopeful that we can get you know an, an uplift. Uh, I think we can see in it there's a great message of hope. And I think we need to realize that these brethren that got this writing first... Uh, this would have been a great encouragement to them. And um, we need to try to remember the environment that they came out of and the wicked influence which they had to endure in around, in and around Jerusalem just prior to their carrying away. And I think uh, it can also be a very strong message of encouragement to us here as believers in the last days. I mean, it would have been a frightful situation to be a true believer in Jerusalem just prior the Babylonian onslaught the majority and I mean the majority of the ecclesia had turned their backs to Yahweh they had descended into the severest forms of apostasy I mean they were uh, they were pretty much deemed past recovery and it, and let's read a verse in chapter 13 of Jeremiah in verse 23 can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots then may ye also do good that are accustomed to evil now in my Bible accustomed in the margin is rendered taught so evil was not only practiced it was taught so this was the wicked example of the elders in Judah in teaching the young Jeremiah is told not once not twice but three times not to even pray for this people. Look at chapter 14, turn the page and look at verse 10. Thus saith Yahweh unto this people, Thus have they loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. Therefore Yahweh doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Then said Yahweh unto me, Pray not for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offering and an oblation, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. So horrible had the conditions become within the apostate ecclesia that Jeremiah was instructed not to take a wife from among them and not to start a family. And let's look at chapter 16. I'm going to read verse 1 actually 1 and 2 The word of Yahweh came also unto me saying Thou shalt not take thee a wife neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place and then look at verse 9 down to verse 9 For thus saith Yahweh of hosts the God of Israel Behold I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth And the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. So this is the situation. There's many more verses we could read and turn up, but I think we we can get the idea. This is the situation that Jeremiah and the faithful remnant found themselves in. Time was almost up. Judgment was imminent. We can also see from verse 9 that we just read there that this was going to happen before Jeremiah. He was going to be an eyewitness to these events. And you could probably sum it all up by the opening verses of chapter 9. Let's look back at chapter 9. And we'll read well, like the first three verses. Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go from them. You know, what a severe condemnation that is. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith Yahweh. So here, brethren, is the very root of the problem. They were not valiant for the truth. In other words, they had ceased to contend. Error had set in, and the result was that they had forgotten their God, or as it says here, they knew not Yahweh. They had become very worldly and pursued evil desires. And finally, and most sadly, they had totally forgotten and turned from their God who had done so much for them. So as we look at Jeremiah's words to the exiles, it's important, I think, to understand the context of what he was writing here, the environment that these faithful brethren had come from. They were in need of encouragement. And we can certainly understand that. You know, we all desire that as well. We come here together, and we we desire to uh, be edified, to be built up, Um, and certainly we've had that. So we can understand the need of these brethren in the the environment they were in they needed to be reminded of the great and the precious promises of their God and this is certainly contained in this message of Jeremiah if we consider the chapter as a whole and we just wanted to summarize it I think we might say the message is the goodness and the severity of God and of course these are the words of Paul to the Romans in chapter 11 in verse 22 where he writes to the ecclesia of the Romans about a similar situation to that of the exiles in verse 5 he says there would be a remnant according to the election of grace for he that is Yahweh had reserved 7,000 men who had not bowed the knee to Baal so the message is, all was not lost. Yahweh would indeed provide for his people's needs. Now, as we study Jeremiah 30th chapter and kind of look over the verses, I think we can see that there's, there's several natural divisions in the chapter. The chapter begins with a great message of hope. We might outline the first three verses and title them Full Restoration Promised to the Exiles. And as I was studying I just kind of separated it out and, and it helped me analyze it a little bit better. So this opening message is very significant there in verse 2. It says, Write all these words. Thus speaketh Yahweh, God of Israel. Write all these words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. In other words, be certain to record them for posterity's sake. So thankfully, they were written in a book for our benefit, and we have them today. In other words, they are sure, and without fail, they will come to pass. Let's read in verse 3. For lo, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will bring again the captivity, or as the RSV states, restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, saith Yahweh, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. From Jeremiah 29, verse 10, we know that the captivity was going to last 70 years. And that this captivity would be accomplished. And that the exiles would return to the land, as indeed they did. However, when we look closer at this chapter 30, when Brother Ray read over it, you could probably, it's pretty obvious that the great promise of the restoration and possession of the land is of a much more permanent nature than happened at the first return of the exiles and I think we can see that it contains a great promise of the kingdom in the future age to come the next division of the chapter we will outline is in verses 4 to 9 which we can entitle Blessings Through Trouble and um, Let me just read verses 5 through 7 again. For thus saith Yahweh, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and with all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. So the first we see here in these verses, we have a language that speaks of a time of great distress where even men are weakened and defenseless as a woman during childbirth. Now note that this is an unnatural condition for a man to be weakened as a woman in childbirth. It's an unnatural situation. And this travail is brought to pass by supernatural means that is divine intervention in verse seven in this same time of distress there is made mention of the patriarch jacob and his trouble the verse begins with alas now this word is an intensive exclamation expressing pain as would accompany childbirth many times this same word is translated woe Next, we have very strong language being used. Mention of a great day of reckoning is made. We read, the day is great, there's none like it. I would ask you, is there any superlative that could be greater than this? I mean, in other words, this day has nothing that can be compared to it. It is a day without equal. This day of great trouble is associated with the man Jacob we read it as the day of Jacob's trouble interestingly when we look at this chapter and survey it we can see that the prophet I'm sorry the patriarch's name Jacob is listed four times in this chapter the first one's here in verse 7 when we read the future time of his trouble next we read it over in verse 10 it occurs twice in verse 10 and it's in a positive sense here where we read fear not Fear thou not, O my servant Jacob. Further along in that verse, Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. So that's a a great contrast to what we've read in verse 7. Finally, in verse 18, where the ultimate future blessings associated with the great patriarch are pronounced, I will bring again the captivity or restore the fortunes, of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places and the city shall be builded upon her own heap and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof I think I believe rather when we look at this chapter the connection to Jacob is an important point and a key to the understanding of this chapter before us rather the message to Yahweh to these exiles was look to the great patriarch Jacob How was considering Jacob going to help them? Jacob was long gone from the scene. He was dead, he was buried. But the the ecclesia in exile were being instructed that there were important lessons to be learned from his life and to consider them would greatly strengthen them in their faith so that they might overcome their present situation. And before we consider the message concerning Jacob, let's complete the outline of the chapter that I started. So, next, we might separate verses 10 to 17 off and name them Restoration Promised. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The next division is in verses 18 to 22, which we will call The Glory of Restoration. And finally, the last two verses, uh, 23 and 24. Are separated, I think. We will call them the whirlwind and fury of Yahweh Savioth. In the prophecy here before us, it's obvious that Jacob represents much more than just the man, just the patriarch, Jacob. He is set forth as a type of the nation that descended from his loins. And this we know on the authority of the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, where he states, beginning in verse 25, and you might turn there, please, Romans 11:25. keep your hand there in Jeremiah. I think these, are a, these verses have some good information and are a link to what we're looking at here in Jeremiah 30. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Note the important points in these verses. Verses. First, the timing. It is at the fullness or the end of the times of the Gentiles when this is to be realized. It is at this time that all Israel shall be saved, Paul writes. And also at this time, very important point, it is the right of the deliverer from Zion to turn away ungodliness from Jacob. In other words, this will be the prerogative and the honor of the Lord Jesus. How is this to be achieved? Well, a deliverer implies the need of deliverance from something or someone. We can see that the delivering will include the making of a covenant with Jacob and the taking away or covering of sin. Now in verse 27, in my margin of bible it says paul is citing isaiah 27 so i want to take you back to isaiah 27 because i think when the apostle's writing here in the 11th chapter he expects expects his readers to understand what the prophet isaiah was saying so let's turn to isaiah 27 Uh, let me read the first six verses in that day Yahweh with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan the piercing serpent even Leviathan that crooked serpent he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea in that day sing you unto her a vineyard of red wine I Yahweh do keep it I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it, and I will keep it night and day. Fury is not in me, who would set the briars and the thorns against me in battle? I would go through them, I would burn them all together. Or let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. He shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root, Israel shall blossom and bud, and fill the face of the world with fruit. So as, as is common in the prophets, the end is presented first. Um, you know, first we have this great and strong sword of Yahweh here in verse 1, even the sharp two-edged sword of judgment is see, seen slaying the sin power, manifestation of that old serpent, then manifested in Gog, Who is then bound for a thousand years. This ultimately results in the root of Jacob which we read over there in verse 6. The root of Jacob or the preserved remnant to blossom as Israel. We might understand this as Jacob in an elevated and blessed state. You know that we know from our lessons in Genesis when we're studying about Jacob. You know he had a name change in his and I think it's very important when we're as good Bible students when we're studying in the prophets and we see Jacob and Israel in the same verse or close together that we kind of perk up because there's a lesson there for us, you know that that indicate that's indicated in the, in the name change. Now, verse seven, verses seven to twelve speak of the trouble that leads up to and precedes this time of blessing, detailed in the opening verses. Smiting of God and the spoiling of the spoiler is referred to in verse 7. Now, I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read them from the RSV. I want you to follow along the King James or whatever version you have in your lap. And, and I think this, this gives us a, a little bit maybe a little bit clearer. It makes it a little easier to understand. Beginning at verse 8, measure by measure, and I think it says uh, in the King James, in measure, so think about here in the sense of Israel will not totally be removed; a remnant is preserved. Measure by measure, by exile, thou didst contend with them. He removed them with his fierce blast in the day of the east wind. Of course, east wind is is a an east wind is not a good thing in the scripture. It's a it's a sore judgments are usually associated with the east wind. So this is the judgments of God from Yahweh therefore by this the guilt of Jacob this is a key point here and this goes back to our link this is our link to Romans 11 therefore by this the guilt of Jacob will be expiated and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin or as Paul said this is my covenant with them when I shall take away their sins when he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no asherim or incense altars will remain standing. All idolatry will be removed from the land, in other words. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. There the calf grazes. There he lies now and strips its branches. When its boughs are dry, they are broken Women come and make a fire of them. So the reason for the punishment is next stated. For this is a people without discernment. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He that formed them will show them no favor. The final two verses, 12 and 13, speak of the glorious and final restoration of the nation. The word gather, in verse 12 is also translated glean one version translates this phrase as he will separate them from others as grain is separated from chaff and in the King James that's translated and ye shall be gathered one by one this is an interesting I think in the context of the events as we understand them To glean uh, implies several things. It speaks of the time of harvest, or actually that harvest is past. It also implies a mowing down of the grain in judgment. And I think we can understand that this is necessary before the grain that is Israel can be gathered and separated from the chaff. So... This is why I think you know, this is the passage that Paul was referring to in Romans 11. So we can see that the turning away of ungodliness from Jacob is not referring simply to the man Jacob, but was referring to the nation which had refused their Messiah and were thus broken off from the olive tree and separated from their God. However, they were still beloved for the Father's sake the expiation of the sins of Jacob will come about at a time of great distress which will cause them to turn to their God for a savior and this will ultimately mean their restoration to favor. You know, and we can see that you know, the verse 3 I think is a real strong verse that shows that he has not cast them out cast them off permanently they have not been cast away you know, Yah- Yahweh is still going to bring them under the bond of the covenant now the phrase that Paul back you don't have to go back to Romans eleven, but he he know he said all Israel will be saved. Now we have to harmonize that with an earlier statement that he made over in verse nine or chapter nine verse six, where he says, "They are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called." That is they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And that's Romans 9, 6 through 8. So who are all the all Israel that will be saved? Well, I think that, you know, here Israel is put for the ideal. I think, you know, you're looking at Jacob in an elevated and risen state in the kingdom age. I think we can understand it in a twofold way. First, It is the Israel of God, Galatians 6.16, the faithful saints throughout the ages, both Jew and Gentile, who have believed the gospel and brought forth fruit to life eternal. Secondly, it is Jacob, or natural Israel, who have now been given a new name, even Israel, purged of rebels, Ezekiel 20.38, they have looked upon him whom they have pierced and mourned and accepted Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. It will be all Israel in the sense that all 12 tribes will be represented in this number. If we consider, and I want to shift gears just a minute and talk a little bit about the patriarch Jacob, because I think that when when Jeremiah was writing the exiles, he referred to Jacob repeatedly in this prophecy. So let's just Briefly look at the life, or consider some points. We're not going to look at the life of Jacob in just a few minutes, but consider just a few points about Jacob. What when they look back at Jacob, what were some things that they could have looked at to take them encouragement from? You know, when you think about Jacob, you know, there's really he had a lot of trouble. You know, when you say Jacob's trouble, you might ask which time, because he endured the man Jacob. Was a man whom God, you know, we can see God shaped him very much in his life. He was, he was, he was, he started out as a godly man. He was an upright man in contrast to his brother Esau. But Yahweh put him through many trials and troubles to shape and form his character so that he might be the man that God desired. So he, he can be an example for us. So something we always ought to remember when we think about Jacob, that he was an upright man, even though he had failings and weaknesses as we all do, he never ceased to lose trust in his God, and we can see that throughout his life. And so we've been doing a study in Sunday school at home, and we went through, studied Jacob's life in connection with Elvis Israel. and some of the comments in there. You know, he's a great encouragement, Jacob is. He was a godly man, and so much so that we find the name of the deity associated with him. Interestingly, we find the title, the God of Jacob, occurs frequently in the scriptures. Twenty-five times, to be exact, by my count. uh, This is five times five, or grace multiplied. I think this is fitting for him, as grace will be multiplied abundantly through Jacob and his seed, the nation of Israel, both natural and spiritual. So we think about Jacob. Uh, you know, the first thing we might want to think about and the first trouble he underwent. You know, he was he supplanted his brother in the birthright, and he had to flee. So he would find him out on the plane of Pat and Aram at night. And this had to be a difficult time for him. He left everything he'd ever known. His mother and his father were behind. Uh, He loved his mother greatly. Uh, All that was familiar to him was behind. He would have been in fear from his brother Esau who sought his life. Uh, He probably would have been in in fear for the unknown and the uncertainty that lay before him. He was going to a strange place. So we can think about that. Um, It was at this time of need That he received great strength from his God. Just as was the case with his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, he had the gospel preached to him out there on this plain at night. Uh, Let's look at Genesis 28. I want to read two verses, verses 13 and 14. And behold, Yahweh stood above it, speaking of the ladder of the night vision. And said, I am Yahweh, God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee I will give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know, Jacob acknowledges this blessing as we see over in verse 20. He says, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall Yahweh be my God. You know, the the next period of Jacob's life, the exiles may have had to consider, is his time with Laban. You know, Jacob spent um, time in the house of Laban. Was this a time of peace and ease for Jacob when he was with Laban? Well, we know he did have the blessing of a family. He gained Leah and Rachel and many children. His flocks and herds increased greatly. But Laban proved to be a fleshly man and a trial for Jacob indeed, so much so that he had to really flee Laban in the end. And let's look at Genesis 31 in just one verse in connection with this, verse 38. To summarize, actually I'll read 38 through 42. This twenty years have I been with thee, thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That, that which was torn of the beast I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I have served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, Surely thou hast sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction in the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. So Jacob had trial and trouble under Laban, but he recognizes that God was caring for him the whole time. Of course, he left his father-in-law here. He returned to the land of promise uh, in obedience. This was the instruction from his father. In his return to the land, he was to experience his greatest trouble and trial. He would be sorely tested as he moved toward the promised land. I think the exiles certainly would have considered his actions and his examples they are recorded in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. You know, Jacob, we'll just summarize it. He's in fear. Esau and 400 men of Esau's are approaching him. You know, what is Jacob to do? Well, we see in his actions in this time of trouble are an example for us all. What's the first thing he does? He resorts to prayer. And we read that in uh, Genesis 32, beginning at verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Yahweh was said unto me, Return into thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies, and of all thy truth, which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I have passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and smite me and the mother with the children. As thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. In this prayer, I think we see kind of a we see a changed man in Jacob from when he left his father's house first the first time. He acknowledges the providential care in his life. He makes a plea for divine help in a time of need. You know, you could say a lot about what's in chapter 32. To summarize, we can say that Jacob acted wisely. He prayed. He moved to protect his family from the threat of Esau. He struggled with an angel until the break of day. And in this, a wonderful thing happened. He was granted a new name. As a consequence of this, and as the day was breaking, he halted. Upon his thigh and walked with a limp. So, as the exiles would consider in this the message of encouragement through Jeremiah, I think they would come to realize that this period of Jacob's trouble was but a foreshadowing in miniature of a greater day of trouble to come. But as did the patriarch of their father Jacob trust in God for deliverance, so could they. This was the message to them. This was their comfort. You know, Back in Jeremiah 30, in verse 11, you know, it says very clearly, For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee. They would realize that Jacob's trial and all the trouble that he went through was for his good. It was for his correction. It was to bring him closer to his God. This would do the same for the nation. Blessings would come through trouble. The time is dire for Jacob, as we read there in the prophet. We've already read verses 5 through 7 again. But says Jeremiah, he shall be saved out of it. Who is this savior in the great day of trouble? this is revealed in the following verse for it shall come to pass in that day saith Yahweh of hosts or armies that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and burst thy bands and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him verse 8 so Yahweh Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts is the Savior At that time the yoke of Babylon shall be removed from their neck but even more gloriously we we read they shall serve Yahweh their God and David the beloved son of God their king whom I will raise up unto them So in that day of trouble the He will be manifested in armies to save them from their trouble Jacob was purified and cleansed through his trouble as will be the nation the nation will be in need of correction so that they might be brought to realize the power of their God to save verse 15 we know why Christ thou for thine affliction thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity because thy sins were increased I have done these things unto thee blessings through trouble Though the exiles were to consider the trouble in the future, they were given a picture of the glory to come. In verse 18, we read, Thus saith Yahweh, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be builded upon her own heap. Note that word there, the heap. This is, I think, clear testimony that the city will have suffered at the hand of God and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof and out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry and I will multiply them and they shall not be a few I will also glorify them and they shall not be small their children also shall be as aforetime and their congregation shall be established before me and I will punish all that oppress them and their nobles shall be of themselves. And their governor, or Jesus of Nazareth, their king and savior, shall proceed from the midst of them, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. For who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith Yahweh? And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is none other than the reality the glorious promise of the gospel that God had preached to Jacob and that was now set before these exiles as a matter of hope of course, you know this is also our hope because when the day this this is realized is a day that we look forward to our hope is bound up in the hope of the nation our hope is the hope of Israel to be realized in the time of Jacob's trouble. Back in Romans 11, Paul wrote this remarkable verse, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you if you're familiar with it. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, speaking of the Jewish nation and the people, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Life from the dead. So consider those words. Let those sink on your heart for a minute. Can there be anything more comforting to us than to realize that the grave will not be victorious over the faithful in Christ? You know, mortality is our great enemy. Maybe we're young enough where we don't fully sense that yet. But death is in the road on our path in front of all of us. but we were promised life from the dead if we would overcome the day will be joyous reunions with the faithful of old and loved ones we have missed the resurrection morning will witness the saints emerging from the womb of the dawn in the prior in the period prior to the travail of jacob look at psalm 110 Let's look at verse 3. A couple of closing points here. I I noted that this resurrection morning and the resurrection can be likened to a birth from the womb of the dawn. Um, Psalm 110, verse 3. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. And also, look at, let's look at Isaiah 26, verse 19. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise awake and sing ye that dwell in the dust for thy dew is as the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead the travail of the nation you know, when, we, when we think about a birth we associate travail and pain with it the travail of the, ner- the nation, Israel the birth pangs will mean life from the dead as Paul clearly tells us and will witness the birth of the holy nation even the immortalized host of Saints let's look at Isaiah 66 beginning at verse 5 hear the word of Yahweh ye that tremble at his word your brethren that hated you that cast you out for my name's sake said let Yahweh be glorified But he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of Yahweh that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth, and not cause to bring forth, saith Yahweh? Shall I cause to bring forth, and shut the womb, saith thy God? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, for all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her, that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breast of her consolations, that you may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. And also Psalm 22, beginning at verse 23. Fear Yahweh, praise him, all ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation, or the multitudinous congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied, they shall praise Yahweh that seek him, your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto Yahweh, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee, for the kingdom is Yahweh's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. And all that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. <laughs> a seed shall serve him that shall be accounted to the, to the Lord for a generation. And they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. You know, our Lord stated in John 16 that as the time approached for the birth there would be travail and sorrow and anguish if we look at John 16 um, I'm going to read verse 20 through 22 verily verily I say unto you that you shall weep and lament But the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. You know we realize this is true, don't we? That the the trouble, the travail, in the this word in verse, this word anguish in verse 21 that she has during this period is it's, it's the same word translated tribulation in many places in the New Testament through much tribulation we shall enter into the kingdom of God so is it not fitting that during this period of travail and trouble that the natural natural Israel will undergo as we approach the birth especially as the birth is imminent that the spiritual spiritual Israel should also have trouble and travail and trial and I, and we we know this, don't we, brethren? We can see this around us, and we've had that brought to our attention this weekend. We know that we have trouble on every side, within, without. There's troubles ecclesial and otherwise, but we are promised, brethren, that this will pass, and that the anguish will pass, and that there will be life from the dead. Let's read. I'll just close with one verse from Galatians 4, verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you,